Winston Churchill said that we must be ready at our weakest moment to meet the enemy at his strongest moment. One of the weak moments in a person's life may be when he or she is counting on God to come through with the promise and God has delayed. Some have that hope and have claimed a promise about a child that God would bring that adult child back to him. Uh, some are praying for some changes in, in husbands or in wives, and they're counting on God to come through and to do something in the heart and life of that child. Uh, there are others that are pleading with God for a financial miracle. Uh, there are some that are pleading with God for a variety of things, and yet God has not answered yet. God has not come through. In fact, it, it would not be too um, exaggerated to say there are probably some here this morning that are disappointed with how God has handled things. Hebrews chapter 11 is going to help us with this. In fact, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and Matthew 6 and Colossians 3 and John chapter 14. In fact, open up your Bible anywhere. I'll get there eventually this morning, okay? But uh, our main text, of course, will be Hebrews chapter 11. Here in this text, the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are viewed not through a microscope in detail, but through a telescope in general. Essentially, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were promised a land and descendants. And yet, Abraham only had one son of promise. Isaac only had two children, but one that was a child of promise. And then Jacob had 12, and they were a mess. And after a while, they're down in Egypt. And in none of their lifetime did any of them inherit the promised land like Joshua would experience, and even more so Saul, David, Solomon, and the high point of Israel's kingdom. And yet, they still trusted God. Beginning in verse number 13 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says there, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and He has prepared a city for them." When God delays, you can still trust Him. Well, how can I do that? Well, first, reaffirm promises. Reaffirm that these things are true and that these things are real as if you had them in hand. They may be off and they may be off in a distance, but they're still real. They're still true because they are given by a God who cannot lie. Reaffirm the promises. In verse number 13, it says, at the end of their lives, they had not realized these promises. They had not been fulfilled in their own lifetime, and yet they died in faith. They trusted God that He would still come through. And the Scripture uses several participles to describe um, the circumstances under which they believed. They saw them from afar off. They imagined God fulfilling them, and, and then they embraced them. You see, in other words, the, the text here makes it very, very clear that, these, they, that though the promises were not quite yet fulfilled with the promised land in their lives, 
they still treated them as if they had already been fulfilled. They acted as if it were so before God made it so and God made it so. That's precisely what happened in the text. And that's what it means to walk with God in faith. You act before it's so as if God's going to make it so and God will make it so. You act as if God is going to come through and you just wait on Him to do so. And you obey Him that way. Uh, To paraphrase Shakespeare, God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God is saying, wait, just because He has not come through, doesn't mean He has forgotten. Does not mean that He's denying. There is a far diff- there's a far greater difference between, or there's a great difference between no and wait. Or no or, and not right now. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Now, why is it that God would ever delay? Why doesn't He just come through instantaneously and immediately with the promises. Well, there could be several reasons. One, he makes better decisions. He makes better decisions. If you have a child and the child comes up and says, I would really, really like, and this is well within the realm of possibility for some families I know, but I would really like a hand grenade for my birthday. Well, you're going to say no because you make better decisions. You're going to give something else in its place. Not that you're necessarily saying no to a gift, but you make better decisions and you say, we're going to have this. That may be why some of you that are single, God's not just dropping this person into your life for matrimony. He makes better decisions. And you don't have any business moving forward with the person you're currently dating. And so what you're wanting to do is that you're wanting to put a ring on a hand grenade or you're wanting to put a ring, a marriage ring on a hand grenade and say vows to a hand grenade and God makes better decisions. Then it could be that there's some better timing. Lazarus had died in John chapter 11 and they requested that Jesus come see him and Jesus delayed. And in the meantime, Lazarus had died and his sisters complained to Jesus something that was very true. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's true. But Jesus had something greater in mind than healing. He didn't heal him like he did so many others. Jesus went to his tomb and raised that boy from the dead. Must have been terribly disappointing for Lazarus. He's in heaven. He's got to come back. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. Jesus had something greater in mind. There was better timing Uh, in mind. It could be also better rewards. God may be delaying because your faith and your walk with God and your obedience in this interim time is earning you a greater reward. And and it could be that God may fulfill a promise long after you're gone. It, It may be you'll see the promise come true, but you'll have to stand in heaven to watch it happen. Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had to watch Israel conquer the land from heaven. And by the way, that's one of the reasons God delays our reward. Because the impact of our lives continues after we are gone. You think about D.L. Moody, the Billy Graham of the 1900s, or the 1800s, of the 19th century. I mean, before Moody had passed away, he'd put together a publishing company. He had started a church in Chicago. He started a Bible training institute that became Moody Bible Institute. And what has happened through all these decades, more than a century since his death, is that this Bible institute has kept producing pastors and missionaries. 
This publishing house has kept producing magazines that focus on the Scripture. There's now Moody Radio, which is one of the most popular Christian radio stations in the, or broadcasting networks in the uh, nation. In other words, what D.L. Moody started didn't finish with its, his death. It just exploded. And because of his faithfulness, he's still accumulating rewards because of what he started. And so you don't give him his reward now. You wait until later. God may have a better, greater, larger, more magnanimous reward waiting for you on the other side. And it could be that's why the promise has not come through yet at this time. And then God also has better values. Whenever you're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, you, you strain, you strive, you stretch, you struggle, and you plead with God in prayer. And it does something to your soul. It matures you. It concentrates your attention. And there's something spiritual that happens in your heart and soul, and you grow. You become more like Jesus. You lean more on God. You learn the secret of effectiveness is not you getting better, which is nearly an impossibility in the Christian walk. Instead, what you find is that you're weak and God is strong and you are strong when you lean on Him because He shares a strength. It's like Vance Havner said. He said, Lord, I've got the weakness. You've got the strength. Let's team up. And that's what we're seeking to do. And so there's something that happens to your soul that's very godly and very holy and very righteous whenever God delays the fulfillment of a promise. Manly Beasley used to say, anything that makes you pray is a blessing. And because the promise is delayed, that's what you're doing. And so you're waiting on a blessing and experiencing one at the same time. So God's delays are not God's denials, but they're improvements. God has something much better in mind. So when God delays, reaffirm the promises and let the promises serve as a lens by which you interpret the future. And don't let anything shake you. In fact, there's a great promise God makes today. Romans uh, and, and every day. In fact, they're about anywhere between, uh, depending on how you count them, anywhere between 5,000 to 7,000 promises in the Bible. And one of those are applicable today. Lots of them are applicable today, but one in particular is Romans 8.32. And it says of God related to Jesus, He who did not spare His Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? If God gave Jesus to die for sinners on the cross, what is he going to do for the rest of us? You see, if God did the greater for those who are lesser, certainly he'll do the lesser for those who are greater. Let me tell you something. It would not be difficult at all for God today to cancel your sin and guilt before him. I know your heart's broken and you're ashamed and embarrassed by what you've done. You're tired of failing. And God says to you today, you trust my son in his resurrection. Give your life and your sins and guilt to me, and I will come through. There's nothing that God cannot forgive today. In fact, he's better at forgiving than you are sinning. And he'd love to cleanse you. So reaffirm his promises. But then there's a second thing, and that is redefine fulfillment. Look at verses 13 through 14. And as you're looking there, let me remind you that one of the large stumbling blocks that we have in our walk with God are some preconceived notions about how God ought to go about being God. You know, everyone knows how to run the world better than God does. Just ask them. Kind of like being a pastor of a church. Everyone knows how to run the church better than the pastor. Ask them, they'll tell you. And that's the way humans are when it comes to 
That's the way humans are when it comes to the world and life. As if God has made some kind of mistake. We've got these preconceived notions, very narrow-minded notions, by the way, about how God ought to run the affairs of life. But let me tell you, narrow-mindedness with God will always produce a broken heart. Verses 13 to 14 are a remedy for this, and they help us redefine fulfillment, how God would go about fulfilling promises. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In other words, we're not going to have this fulfilled here. We're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, we get strangers and pilgrims in Athens oftentimes. We do. Many weekends out of the year, they travel from one place to another, and they stay in a hotel, and they watch a game someplace in the University of Georgia or downtown region, and then they go back home. And the fact that they stay in a hotel implies that their homeland is elsewhere. And that's what these did. That's why they lived in tents. They said, my homeland, which the word here for homeland is really fatherland, something very emotional, a place to which they were bonded, is in heaven. And we're living here as if we are in a hotel. Well, it's very difficult to accumulate, at least in this ancient day, more and more property and more and more goods and more and more wealth when you are in a temporary place. It's much better to do that in your homeland, and that's what they thought about themselves. And so they had a better view of fulfillment. Their, their, their home was someplace else, and they were just living in a hotel-like existence while on this earth. And that's the way all of God's people are. This is not our homeland and fatherland. This happens to be a hotel existence. It's temporary, and one day we're out of here. One day we're gone to the fatherland, to where the father is. So Abraham and Isaac and Jacob imagined a different kind of fulfillment there that cannot be met and satisfied in a hotel-like existence where they were on the earth. In fact, God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your descendants will be as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And you're going to own and control all the land you can lay your eyes on. And it was quite a spread. It was. But they believed that, they trusted that, and Paul would later explain in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, that God would do that not merely through the Jews, of whom Abraham was the ancestor. He would do that also by converting people to Christ with the same faith that Abraham had, and would take them, the Gentiles, and graft them onto believing Israel. And what the text is telling us here is that Abraham understood that from the very beginning. He believed that Romans 9's passage before Paul ever wrote it. And so he imagined that God would fulfill the plan in a different way than anyone ever expected. He redefined fulfillment. So he was flexible with the notion of fulfillment. Now back in 1950, there was a neat little church choir at the Westside Baptist Church in Bernice, or Beatrice, Nebraska. And they were always punctual. Rarely was uh, any member of this 15-member choir ever uh, late. 
Uh, they would start choir practice at 7.20 just about every night. But one Wednesday evening when they were to practice at 7.20, no one was there. Everyone was tardy. And that had never happened in the history of this choir that anyone could remember at all. One young lady was to go, and uh, she uh, had ironed a dress to go to church that evening. And, and if you don't like dresses, don't worry about that. You can come here anyway. But that's what she did. And she got the dress dirty and had to iron another one. That delayed her. There were two cars that stalled, and they couldn't get them started. There was one high school student in the choir who couldn't finish a geometry problem. There, there was another member of the choir, a man who um, needed to write a letter, had procrastinated, and decided he would go ahead and be late and write the letter. There was one woman that just admitted, I was tired that day, I felt kind of lazy, so I took an extra long nap. That's what she did. And uh, that's, that's, what, that's what she did. Anyway, all 15 members of this choir had a delay. The pastor went over about 710 and lit the furnace, and at 725, the church building exploded. The walls went outward, the roof came down and crashed, the steeple was in the middle of the street. What happened, it appears, is that there was a gas leak outside the building that seeped under the building to a furnace, the furnace that was burning under the choir loft. And that particular day, that particular day, all 15 members were late, which had never happened before. Now, you can just imagine all the complaining going on. All the angst, all the anxiety about soul dresses. Grumbling for having to finish a geometry problem. Wishing that maybe we had done this letter earlier. In other words, what we've got to understand, God makes promises and sometimes He doesn't fulfill them the way we expect Him to. We've got to be a bit more broad-minded in how God would fulfill a promise. Can I suggest something to you? Just trust the promise, ask God to fulfill it, and leave it up to Him how He does it. Let God be God. Don't attempt to play God yourself. So reaffirm the promises, then redefine fulfillment, but then there's a third thing, and that is relocate your vision. Now we'll need to look at verse number uh, 15 and 16 here, but I want you to look also at Matthew 6 and Colossians chapter 3. Dave Hunt, more than 30 years ago in his book, Whatever Happened to Heaven, said that he had noticed that Christians had become quite reticent to talk about heaven, somewhat embarrassed. And they uh, were the kind that had relegated it to a place that wasn't very important to them. In fact, he had noticed they were far more interested in politics than they were in the second coming of Christ and Jesus coming to get them. And here's what he said. He said, Heaven remains the place that everyone hopes to reach someday, but which almost no one wants to be taken to right now. we got other things to do. Our heart, hope, and vision are elsewhere. That's not what Abraham and company felt in verses 15 and 16. Here's what we find. They relocated their vision. They set their vision on the next life, and they had hope. And there's several ways to describe this hope. It became a settled hope. It says in verse number 15, If they had called to mind the country from which they'd come out, or, or other places, they would have had opportunity to return. And that's what some did under Moses. They got to grumbling and complaining about the wilderness and God's provision there, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. 
And they'd find any excuse or opportunity to go back. That's not what happened to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They remained faithful and walked with God. They became settled. The great thing that will keep you faithful to God instead of drifting off into sinfulness and worldliness will be putting your hope where it belongs in Him. It will settle you. Then it's superior. Verse number 15, But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. There is no way in this world that you could ever come up with a better plan or vision for your life than what God has. God's vision and God's way is better and superior to anything that a human could ever create or imagine. And that's why we've got to get in on Jesus Christ. So it is settled, it's superior, then it's satisfying. Verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. In other words, you end up having divine attestation and divine approval and applause when you set your hope on the other side to something that is better and superior and that will settle you, then God begins to be the kind of God that is not ashamed to claim you and to call you His own. Well, uh, Jesus refers to this somewhat in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19. Look there. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Don't do that at all. Because there moth and rust destroy and thieves may break in and steal. He goes on to say, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's what he's saying. Cast it someplace else. Set your heart in another place. Colossians chapter 3 says much the same, beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, and that's a synonym for receiving Jesus as Savior, you get resurrected. The process of resurrection begins the moment you give your heart and life to Christ. He starts with your body and soul, and you're no longer a corpse. You come to Christ. You're made alive in Him. And then one day, He's going to raise the body of every believer when He splits the eastern sky and pulls off the resurrection. So if then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For you've died in relationship to this world. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. That The whole encouragement of this text is to do here what financial advisors and others would encourage you to do with your paycheck. Don't spend it all. Put some away for retirement. And the more you can, the better. Now, here's what God will do with some of His promises. He will refuse to let you expend and exhaust them all in this life where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. Instead, He is reserving them laid up in heaven for those who have claimed His promise. So God's not going to let you spend it all here. He's reserved much of it there. Francis. Light wrote this, and I think this is excellent. He said, It's not for me to be seeking my bliss, nor building my hopes in a region like this. I look for a city that hands have not piled. I pant for a country by sin undefiled. Let doubt then and danger my progress suppose. They only make heaven more sweet at its close. Come joy or come sorrow, whate'er may befall, an hour with my God will make up for them all. 
There can be disappointment and heartache and sorrow in the delay in this life. But let me tell you what, you get on that other side and within an hour, it all vanquishes in the presence of God. And that's what God promises us. Put your vision there. Be disciplined. Be spiritual. Seek Christ and set it there. Florence Chadwick wished she had done something like that when in 1952 she tried to swim from Catalina Island about 20 miles off the coast of mainland California over to the mainland of California. It's about a 20-mile swim. She had already swung the English Channel. And she got up and she swam. It was foggy outside. And after 15 minutes, she's cold and she's weary. She cannot see anything. She's still in the fog and she wants to give up. But her mother on the boat encouraged her to keep on swimming and not to give up. She swam a couple more miles and finally exhausted, gave up. And they pulled her in the boat. And when she got in the boat, she looked up and the coast was just a half mile away. In an interview the next day, She said, all I could see was fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Some days I can see the shore, can you? And we're getting closer and closer every day. I think I've probably lived more than half my life. And when I met Jesus when I was 16 years old, from that moment to this one, I've wanted to see him. Can you see the shore? It's approaching closer and closer every day. Your Father has promised it. It's coming. It's on the way. Keep swimming. Relocate your vision. If you can't see it, make something up. It's not long. It's not far. He's promised it. He secured it. And he who spared not his only son, how shall he not also with him freely give us a shore, a landing place, a finish line? This is not a marathon without a finish line. There's a point in time when it ends. And for God's children, it ends in a better, that is, a heavenly country. Dio Moody said, God never made a promise too good to be true. And Jesus speaks of that in John chapter 14. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So there's a place next to the Father's house. We know the way. He's provided the way through Jesus Christ. And for anyone who rejects a life out of Christ and says yes to Jesus in his death and resurrection, this becomes theirs. And you'll make it to the shore. Would you do that today in a moment? We're going to sing a song and our staff will be here in front to receive you. We want to help you with that decision. Would you come give your heart and life to Christ? We'd like to help you with that. Others of you, God's moving on you to become part of this church and to follow Christ and to serve Him here in this place. No no need to delay. Go ahead and come and give yourself today. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and quietly, and let's pray together.